good to see you. Um, just on the back of what uh, Richard just saying, uh, whoever's got the gift of faith in this room, we need you now as a church more than ever. Use the gift of faith that God has given you to encourage and equip that hope that Richard was just talking about earlier. I just really felt like just that. We need that. We need that. Um, it's really good to be uh, again with you this morning. Uh, it's good to see so many people. Do you know when I sat down before the service, the chairs were empty. And so when I turned back around to see so many of you, it's lovely. So uh, thanks for that. Um, we are continuing with our Haggai, 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 Haggai um, series, um, putting first things first. Um, and uh, as we start the new year, I think it's a really good opportunity to do just that. As I've been preparing uh, for this morning, this image of a kind of New Year thing has just been going on in my head. Let me explain a little bit further. Um, New Year, or Hogmanay, is a big thing in my household. So I'm married to a Glaswegian, um, Scottish girl, um, uh, and, and it's a big deal. New Year, Hogmanay, it's a huge thing in Scotland. It's, it's kind of in, in, in lots of ways bigger than, than Christmas maybe. But I've been introduced to a whole load of traditions, New Year, Hogmanay traditions. One of them particularly, steak pie dinner, which I'm particularly a big fan of. New Year's Day, always have a steak pie. Do you know one year particularly, Ruth and I, I I'm trying to think if we were engaged or, or just dating. I remember flying up New Year's Eve to go and see her, to spend New Year's Eve with her and her family. And um, as we were flying up, we were landing in Glasgow, the weather was horrendous, the plane had to do this emergency pull-up um, because it couldn't land, it was so bad, the wind was just awful. We got diverted to Edinburgh, we couldn't land because the weather was so bad. We got diverted to Newcastle, we had to land because we were about to run out of fuel, and uh, the weather was just as bad there. And I remember kind of as it's landing, this plane's kind of floating all over the place, you know, that feeling. And we got to, we landed, it was safe, we got put on a bus, and we drove all the way to Glasgow from Newcastle. And I remember the weather was so bad, I could feel the inside of this minibus against the, on my leg because the wind was pushing on it. But we arrived, we managed to get there just before the bells, and as I got picked up, taken back to Ruth's parents' house, we sat down at one in the morning and had a full steak pie dinner. Mashed potatoes, steak pie, and I'm sitting there going, this is the strangest thing in the world. One in the morning, who wants to eat a full dinner then? Um, but, you know, their family always buys things like shortbread. Uh, Madeira cake, what they call cherry burn, fruit burn. It's always in at New Year's, and the, the table is always full. You know, the idea is this tradition that you see the new year in as you want the new, the, as the year to go. Um, and so things like the cupboards are always full. You know, the start of the year, cupboards full. It means, you know, end of year, cupboards are full. The fire is blazing. The fire is always blazing. The coal is always full. You're near your nearest and dearest. You're dressed up smart. I even found out a new one this morning that apparently when the bells come in, the, the, the tradition would that the doors would be open, the, the windows would be open. You let the old out. You welcome the new in. And I just think that's amazing. But the thing that's been in my head as I've been preparing this is the cleaning of the house. The cleaning of the house was a big tradition at that time of year, New Year. You know, the spring clean type thing, maybe the, what we would, might uh, relate to. And it's not just a little clean, you know, a little polish, a little bit of a dusting. This is fridge out, you're cleaning behind the fridge. This is top of the cupboards, you're cleaning the top of the cupboards. The thing that no one's ever going to see. The stories that I was told is, as uh, at Ruth's parents, you know, they would live in a flat. And even the stairs that everyone would use would be swept, clean, polished, and bleached. You know, it wasn't just a surface level clean. This is an in-depth clean. 
get rid of cobwebs, sorry, start the new year fresh. And that image has just been going around in my head time and time again as I've been preparing for this morning. Start the new year as we would like the year to go. Not just surface level stuff cleaning on the inside, but what about some of the deep stuff? Because what would that look like? The new year is always an increase in business for gyms, isn't it? You know, start the new year, intention, it's always the busiest time. You know, I was told that, uh, recently that apparently it's the same for like counselors and people that want help in that kind of side of things. You know, there's always good intentions. Start of the year, there's initial willingness, it's always busy, but how often do we stick with it? How often do we persevere? What would it look like if we persevered in some of those attitudes and heart? in terms of dealing with some of the things that we need to be dealing with. So, in your Bibles, please turn to Haggai 2. We're going to be reading from verse 10. It won't be up on the screen this morning. So, please turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles or listen to me as I read it. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius... The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. And Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of those things, Does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. And Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from the day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When everyone comes To a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So from this day on, from this 24th day of the nine month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. So a bit of context. There's been a bit of a a, a month, two-month interval since Haggai's previous sermon. So the the beginning of chapter 2, there's a two-month interval that's kind of gone on since then. And so they're in this season of preparation for harvest. So the early rains would normally fall around mid-October around Jerusalem. And when the ground was soft enough, then the seeds would be sown and plowing would begin. And so by the middle of December, this work would have been completed with all those accompanying hopes for a good year free from drought, free from pests, 
This season of preparation for the harvest is what they were in. And so at the beginning of verse 1, the 24th day of the ninth month, by our calendar, it is December the 18th. So the middle of December, all that's been done. This is the season that God is speaking into the things that he was going to address. He's used that timing. God doesn't use anything by, there's no coincidence here. God's using this timing to speak into what he is going to do. But there's something very, very significant of what he was needing to address. So the harvest wasn't looking great. It wasn't looking great. It's not been great. You know, he told, you know, you go to the, uh, the vat of wine and it's not fully there. You know, the harvest hasn't been great. It's not looking great because the rains have stopped. We've seen that in previous chapters. Haggai 1, you know, there is, there is a, there's a reason for this, though, because God had delayed the rain. They were building a consecrated temple, but they themselves were un- unconsecrated as they were doing it. There's a delay here for a reason. Put it a different way, we've got dirty people building a clean temple, which in turn made the new temple dirty in God's sight. And so what an image that has been portrayed by these two questions that God has put before the Jewish nation. What an image. Verse 12, consecrated meat, making something holy. Does it make something holy? So this kind of idea of the meat that's been used in sacrifices, you know, the sacrifices that were used to make them right before God, if that meat was then taken, put into someone's pocket, that coat that it was put into to touch something else, would that thing then become holy? And the priest said, no, and it was the correct answer. According to the old Levitical law, no. And so then in verse 13, this image of touching a dead body, Does that defile them? What a word, defile. It's not a nice word. Unclean. The answer was yes. See, we cannot catch the healthiness of a healthy person, but we can catch the sickness of a sick person. And so verse 14, God says, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight. It's the same principle Living in the Holy Land, offering sacrifices wouldn't make the people acceptable in God's sight. As long as they themselves were unclean through neglect of the house of the Lord. See, after their exile to Babylon, the people of Israel were so focused on getting back to the promised land, which in itself isn't a bad focus, but the problem with that thinking was it led them to believe that once they were in the promised land, that everything would be good. Everything would be okay. But here we have this reminder that their presence in the promised land doesn't make everything they do holy. Their actions and the attitude of their heart needed to change. See, they thought they were godly because they were building a temple, but actually they were contaminating the temple in God's sight because they weren't putting their lives right. They weren't honoring their part of the covenant. And so we see, a, we see a phrase that's repeated throughout the book, actually, but particularly in this chapter. It's repeated three times. Careful thought. Give careful thought. And if something's repeated, it's important. If something's repeated, we need to take 
note. Give careful thought. There's a call for the people of Israel in this passage to persist in this self-examination that leads, hopefully, to repentance. Because what did we see? How, 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 did, how did God try and get their attention? What were some of the things that God was doing? Verse 17, I struck all the works of your hand with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you didn't return to me. See, these experiences weren't bringing them back to God. They weren't learning from them. They were persistent in their stubbornness, in their rebelliousness. They thought what they were doing would be enough, where God was trying to get their attention. And sometimes those difficult times don't necessarily bring us closer to God. And so give careful thought. And I love how, how, how it's finished in this little bit of scripture, in this passage. If we give careful thought, we examine ourselves, you know, we, we think about some of this stuff, the challenge that God has given. And he says, from this day, I will bless you. God promised blessing to his people. We read this. God promised, I will bless you if they put their priorities back in order. Those blessings might not come immediately. But he didn't want them to be discouraged. Let's trust that from this day, from this day, I will bless you. See, the seed was no longer in the barn, but it was in the soil. It had been planted. All those hopes, all those expectations, they'd been planted. And here we have a bold statement in declaring a blessed harvest. God is faithful. Does anyone know the difference between visiting a pub, bit of a leap here now, right? Visiting a pub on the 30th of June, 2007, and visiting a pub the very next day. Does anyone know what the difference would have been? No smoke. No smoke. No smoke. The smoking ban was introduced. You couldn't smoke in a public place. See, I'm the generation where I remember going to a restaurant and being offered a non-smoking or a smoking uh, area. Does anyone else remember that? It's weird, isn't it? When we think about it now, it's so strange going to a restaurant and saying, and, and it would literally be, there would just be a, a, a fence or some sort of barrier. The person there is smoking, but I'm not smoking. I'm in the non-smoking, but they're in the smoke. It's weird, you know? Even on a plane, you know, where the people would go behind the curtain and they would smoke on a plane. Um, uh, it's just bizarre sometimes when you think about it. But I remember going to a pub, seeing friends, and I would always come back stinking of smoke. I wouldn't smoke, but I would smell of the smoke. That smoke would cling, and I would have to jump in the shower before I'd go to bed because of that smell that was on me. And do you know what? It was the same when you'd visit those pubs months after the smoking ban because that stale smoke that had lingered seeped into the very pores of the chairs. Um, or if I put it a different way, you know, I love a good fire pit, you know, sitting around outside in the garden with friends, you know, maybe a little whiskey, you know, something. But a good fire pit, and, and, and it's the same thing. You come away smelling of smoke. It clings. And I know if I don't shower, that smell of smoke on my hair or whatever will be onto the pillowcase in the morning. Why am I saying this? I'm not smoking, but the smoke still clings. I'm not on fire, but the smell still clings. 
What are some of the things that we participate in knowingly or maybe unknowingly that clings? That image of defilement, the stuff that they're touching that God has just said to the, uh, the Jewish nation, what are some of the things that unknowingly, knowingly we are engaging in that is clinging? Because that image of defilement is so strong. But it's significant. Because time and time and time again, scriptures talk about telling us, teaching us to what? To turn away, put to death, leave behind, flee the things that stink, the things that cling, the thing that impact us, the old way of doing, the old life. We are new creations, yet for some reason, we still cling on to some of those things. We are called to lay at Jesus' feet, you know, pursue him. And the Bible's full of them. These are just some of the verses that we may see. You know, Hebrews 12, um, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 1 Thessalonians, for God did not call us to be impure, but live a holy life. 2 Timothy, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. Uh, 1 Peter, it talks about be alert, fully sober, set your hope on him. But then that last little bit, be holy because I am holy. Peter there is quoting from Leviticus, this old law that sometimes we just bypass, but was set for the Israel, uh, Israel people to set them apart from their neighbors. Be holy. That was the challenge. Be holy because I am holy. That still applies to us today. My favorite, one of my favorite verses, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom. Seek first. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given unto you. We're called to that. If we take an Old Testament perspective here, they were building a physical temple that allowed opportunity for sacrifice, actual sacrifice. This was essential, wasn't it? It's essential for restoring this relationship between a holy God and a sinful people. And they were challenged with the significance of the things that they were doing because of the impact that was having on those sacrifices. And if we take a New Testament perspective, see, the sacrifice of Jesus is a once-for-all atoning sacrifice. Hallelujah. The cross, it is done. It is finished once and for all. But what does it say in Romans 12? We're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to offer our lives. In Philippians, we're called to offer our gifts. In Hebrews, we're called to offer our worship. In Hebrews, again, we'll offer our acts of kindness. And again, in Philippians, we'll offer our faith. We're called to sacrifice. It just looks a little bit different. As sacrifices, it fosters this covenant relationship that we have with the Lord and that he has with us. That covenant relationship that is founded on Christ's sacrifice. 
we're called to continue. Does that make sense? We're called to continue in sacrifice. It just looks a little bit different. That covenant, it's a two-way thing because God is faithful. God is faithful to his covenant. Are we? Am I? See, we're part of this. We're submitting. We're called to submit to his authority. We're called to trust that things that he says and puts in scripture are for our benefit, for our good. Are we distinct from our neighbors, the people around us? Although God has provided sacrifice to atone for sin and facilitate worship, he desires an obedient people who will live out that covenant faithfulness from the heart. Matthew 23, Jesus challenged the Pharisees, the people, the religious leaders of the day. It's a pretty strong challenge that Jesus gave them if you read it. And he's basically saying, the, he's challenging the difference between what's seen on the outside and what's seen on the inside. And he uses some really strong words. Before we're to enjoy the blessing of verse 19 in this passage, I think there's a challenge to put our house in order and strive for holiness. Holiness is not contagious, but unholiness, unfortunately, is. Touching consecrated meat doesn't make things holy, but touching that dead body defiles us. You know the movie, Will Smith's movie, a long time ago that he had with his, his son, The Pursuit of Happiness? What would it look like instead of happiness we replaced with holiness? What would it look like as a church if we pursued holiness as opposed to our own happiness? Because I believe that we would, we would, we would meet and we would receive and we would find happiness, but we pursue holiness first. Because what would that look like? What would that look like not only in our lives, but what would that look like for us as a church? 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built. We are being built. We are being called to be that house of worship, that house of praise, the temple, a holy priesthood. What are some of the things that sometimes we give away in our compromise? Oh, it's just this. It's just that. All the stories of people that fall from grace, leaders, it never starts necessarily with all the big stuff. It's always the little things. They're the things that come out afterwards. It's always, it's just this. What are the things that we compromise over? Even as a church, what are some of the things that maybe we're holding on to that the Lord would have us just to lay down, just get rid of it? And it's a question and, and challenge for as leaders to be discerning and praying and thinking, Lord, what is it that you would have for us just to lay down? What are some of the things that we need to remove the fridge and clean behind and actually deal with some of the stuff that God is calling us to deal with so that we can be who God is calling us to be? See, the call to holiness isn't about a religious thing. It's not about duty. It has to be fostered out of relationship. A circumcised heart. That image of the prodigal son that's sitting in the midst of that filth, the pig filth, the pig food, the defilement, he runs back to the father who comes with such open arms, such grace, and he receives him and gives him all the rights of a son again. See, there, was a sp there must have been a point in that story where he had that revelation that he could come back to the Father. He can come back. We can return 
home. I am so thankful for this meal that we're about to receive and participate in and join because of the significance of what it means for me individually, but us collectively as the body of Christ. We are restored. We are made whole. We are redeemed. We are brand new creations. The covenant of God is faithful to all those who believe. Saved. But what about me? What about us? Are we pursuing holiness? Are we pursuing him? What would that look like for each and every one of us? And I think it's important that we allow space for God to bring that. One of the things the Lord's been teaching me recently is about space. What do we do with space? Whether it's space in a room, space in a calendar, we fill it up. We fill it up with stuff. We say we're going to create space for God to move. What do we do? We speak. We do stuff. We play the guitar, whatever. Right? We fill that space with us, don't we? What would it look like if we fill that space with God? And I think it's important that we allow space for God. So before we come to the meal, before we come to the, 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 the symbols of the bread and of the wine... Take this off carefully. There we go. I think it's important that we make space. Let's make space for God. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? Let's pursue him in this moment right now. So let's pray. Father, we we bring ourselves before you. Your church, your people. I bring us as a church, Lord, before you, but Lord, individually, we bring ourselves before you and ask, Lord, that you would speak. I ask, Lord, that you would show the things in our lives maybe that we need to deal with things we've been running away from, some of the significant things maybe that, you know, it's on the counter that we can see the mess. But Lord, I pray that you would reveal the things that are maybe behind the fridge, the things that we don't see that we've been leaving for so long. Lord, you want what's best for us, for our good. And so Lord, I just pray that you would come by your spirit and Lord, that you would bring the things that we need. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.